Let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. And I'm going to read this passage concerning uh, John the Baptist. As we're having baptisms today, I thought it would be appropriate to look at his message. And uh, Luke writes this. I'm going to read verse 1 to 14. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I want to show you, I want to go from the sublime to perhaps the ridiculous. I want to show you some pictures now. And I want you to uh, work out what these have in common. Okay, Erica, I forget the first one. Okay, that's the first one. Portrait of the artist, portrait artist of the year. And the second one, please. The great British menu. And the third one. X Factor. And the fourth one. Strictly Come Dancing. And the last one. The great British Bake Off. Thank you, Erica. So, did you twig what those all have in common? Yeah, TV programs, anything else? Competition, yeah, yeah, competitions, yeah. TV programs, competitions, and what they also all have in common is this. They have people who come, maybe celebrities or non-celebrities, and they get assessed by experts. They kind of assess their ability to do things. They tell them how good they are, and usually, not always, but usually they're quite kind in some of the things that they say. The crust was good, but the inside was a bit underbaked, for example. Um, yeah, your singing was quite good, but you know, when you hit the, the top notes, yeah, it wasn't quite what we're looking for type thing. Well, it's very interesting here that John the Baptist also gives his assessment of the people who come out to the Jordan to see this strange man who lives in the desert dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, are rather strange. So they come out to the desert, and he gives them an assessment, and he says to them, you brood of vipers. You know, I've never thought of a brood of vipers. Vipers are poisonous snakes, 
And a bro- how many would there be in a brood? I'm not sure. Maybe a dozen, 15, 20. I don't know. You know, stick your hand in a brood of vipers, and that would be a very dangerous thing to do. So that's his assessment of the crowds as they come out to the Jordan to be baptized. Well, I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, you're hardly likely to read this and how to win friends and influence people, are you? In fact, I looked up what you should say if you want to uh, win friends and influence people. Here are some of the things that you should do. Let's see if John managed to do any of them. First of all, begin with praise and honest appreciation. Sorry, John. You've definitely failed on that one. Uh, Call attention to people's mistakes indirectly. Sorry, failed on that one as well, mate. How about this one? Ask questions instead of giving direct orders. Failed again, I'm afraid. Uh, What about this one? Let the other person save face. Well, he certainly doesn't do that either, does he? So he's failed on all accounts. But John's message was one of get your lives in order or else suffer God's wrath against evil. He's telling them that the time is so short now. Get ready. God is not messing about. He means business. He hates evil, and he is going to deal with it. His wrath is coming against evil. So get, so repent. Change your way of living. So the first point I want to make is this. Turn away from. That's John's message initially. Why does it seem so harsh and so stark, though? Well, part of the reason is because people of the day wrongly assumed that because they were Jews and so God's chosen people, that everything was going to be okay with them. That didn't matter how they lived. They were quite good enough as they were. Uh, But later on, when Jesus comes, we see his assessment of people. And it's just as stark in some respects as John. He says to the religious leaders of the day, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In other words, there's something that needs to happen to us. We need to turn away from something. The crowd say to John, what should we do then? Well, the crowd at least were, some of them were willing to admit that there were things in their lives that they needed to get sorted out, that they needed to get straight. Others didn't have that response. Others had the response of, he's got a demon. So there were extreme responses to both the message of John the Baptist and Jesus when he came. But the first thing is to turn away from certain things. Jesus faced that same reaction when he came. Some people received him gladly. The so-called sinners of the day, the tax collectors, the ne'er-do-wells of that day, they listened to Jesus gladly. But others said he's a glutton and a drunkard. But some accepted his message. My question is this. What about you and me? About us today? What's our reaction to the message? Because actually, although when John says, you brood of vipers, it's good news. It doesn't sound like it, but it is good news. It's a wake-up call to turn away. You see, I think in our nation, we think we're doing fine, by and large. We think, as Steve said, we don't need God. He doesn't come into our thinking, into our equation. And I think part of the reason for that as a nation is this, that we're quite prosperous. You know, we have hot and cold running water. We have good transport system. We have... You know, pretty good health care. We have a good education system. We have everything we need. What need do we have of God? But the time is here when we need to hear this message. 
Because John says here, actually, the wrath of God is coming. God opposes evil. And we look at the world today, and we look at human history, and we see a catalog of huge tragedies have happened throughout human history. We see it going on even in Syria today. And we think, well, where is God in all of this? Why, why does God not intervene to do something? Well, he has intervened. He's intervened by sending his beloved son. And he is actually the solution to the main problem. And the main problem is not actually Syria or whoever's got elected or the tyrant in North Korea. Actually, those things are not the main problem. The main problem is this. It's the darkness within the human heart. It's the alienation from God. And if we can get that right, and God has sent his beloved son into the world in order to get that right, if we can get that right, and the first thing we need to do is we need to turn away from the darkness, to repent. That's what it means. It's a turning away from sin, from wrongdoing, from thinking we don't need God. It's a turning away. And it's not simply some kind of mental agreement. It's deeper than that. It's something that expresses itself in how we live. That's what repentance is. That's why John says, bear fruit that demonstrates that you've repented. The axe is now at the root of the tree. God is going to act. He may seem slow to do so, but he is going to act. And bear fruit worthy of repentance. It's not simply mental assent. It's very interesting that when the crowd say to John, what should we do? What's interesting is what he doesn't tell them to do as well. He doesn't say, pray more. He doesn't say, fast more. He doesn't say, go to the temple more often. He doesn't say, offer a few more sacrifices. But what he does say is this, share with others. Work honestly. Act justly. Be content with what you have. You see, some people say that Christianity is pie in the sky. Well, it's hardly pie in the sky here. In fact, John gets to the very heart of what the problem is, the root of, of the darkness of a human heart, and then he pinpoints what is going to demonstrate that these people have turned away from their sin. So you soldiers, be content with your pay. He gets right to the heart. Don't, don't extort money from people. This was the key element in their life that would demonstrate that they had repented. So Christianity is not pie in the sky. It's earth in the real world. And repentance as well, is it something that we just, we just do once, then we get baptized, and everything is then fine? No, no. It's an ongoing thing. It's an attitude of the heart that we need to have. Because we all make mistakes, whether deliberate or not so deliberate, from time to time. And so we need to turn away from that. From that sin which so easily entangles us, is what the Bible says. And to turn away from it. So the thing that John says... It seems shocking, you brood of vipers. But he wants to shock them. He wants to shock them out of their complacency in order to do something, which is to turn away from the darkness of where they are. But the gospel, repentance and forgiveness are very much linked together. So not only is John saying, turn away from something, he's also saying, turn towards someone. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Prepare the way for someone greater. Someone greater than me, John is saying. And it's turning away, yes, but it's turning towards as well. It's turning towards Jesus so that, as we've heard this morning, the rule and reign of Jesus can come into our lives. 
And that's a very exciting thing to happen. And baptism here is like laying a good foundation on which to build. So if turning towards Jesus is inviting the rule and reign of Jesus into our lives, what does that reign look like? What does his rule and his reign in our lives look like? Well, it's interesting. We heard, I don't know if you noticed, we heard the word inner healing earlier this morning. Inner healing. You know, when we turn towards Jesus, one of the things that the Lord does, now this may take time. God is often not in a hurry, but he does things in a deep manner. And some, I have experienced in my own life inner healing. I've experienced inner healing, things that I have done wrong, I've experienced inner healing from those. Sometimes they can be the most difficult to overcome, actually. And I've also experienced inner healing from things that people have done to me that have not been very nice. But they have no power over me now. I can remember them, but the memories have got no power over me at all. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has worked in me, the rule and reign of Jesus in that area of my life, And I experience an inner healing from those hurts of the past. There's a freedom from addictions and bad habits that comes as a result of the rule and the reign of Jesus. That God, sometimes sometimes he releases us instantly from those things. Again, I've experienced that as well. An instant release from bad habits and addictions. And sometimes it just takes time. I would encourage you, if you're on the stage where it's taking some time, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. The rule and reign of Jesus is coming in your life. And I'll say a little bit more about that as well. As well, when the rule and reign of Jesus comes into your life, and we've heard it again this morning, there's an inner happiness comes, I believe. An inner happiness and an inner radiance even. Is it because of my virtue? No. It's because of the virtue of the Holy Spirit. As he comes into our life, he brings something of the character of God. You know what about God? He's very happy. Supremely happy. Full of joy, full of delight, full of harmony, full of peace. And so when Jesus comes into your life, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, we get a taste of that. Maybe it's just a small taste, but a taste of it nevertheless. Does that mean, of course, that you know, if you have an inner happiness and a radiance, that everything's going to be fine, it's all going to be plain sailing? Well, I like something that the band Coldplay sang. Nobody said it was easy. No one ever said it would be this hard. Has that been your experience? I'll tell you what, it's certainly been my experience in some areas of my life, <clears throat> that when I first started out, Uh, on the journey after I got married and we had children, I just thought everything was going to be plain sailing. It was going to be lovely. I had this wonderful image of how the children would grow up and they they would do this and that and the other and it would all fit in with my way of thinking. I want to tell you it didn't. It was crash and burn. But the point was the Lord was with us in it, and the Lord has given us uh, many blessings in our lives. See, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being living water, and he talks about the Holy Spirit being like the wind. Now, I'm always very encouraged by those two ideas. Let me tell you why. When I grew up in Scotland, and uh, we lived by the sea, well, you could 
certainly see the sea from my grandmother's house, but we often went down to the sea. And there were some hills near where we lived. It wasn't very built up. You could see the hills, and there was heather, and you could go and pick blueberries in the summer and this kind of thing. And there was a farm, and there was a barn. A barn. Now, the Scots among you here will know what a barn is. Okay. Yeah, Alistair? You do? Okay. It's a little, I suppose the English equivalent would be a rivulet, a, t- a little stream, a bit like the one in Hewenden Park, okay? Except this was smaller than the one in Hewenden Park, and it would trickle down from the, the hills, the barn. And we used to lo- love going as kids to play in the barn and catch the sticklebacks and this kind of thing. And there was a track going by the farm, and you could miss what was by the track if you weren't careful. But as kids, you know, the thing about being a child is you're lower down, aren't you? So you see things from a different perspective. So you see things that are nearer the ground. When you're an adult, you're bigger. You don't see the ground so much. Anyway, that's an aside. I've noticed that with my grandchildren, actually. They notice things lower down, but never mind. Anyway, we saw this spring. And uh, as kids, we used to love going and drinking the water from the spring. The water would seep down through the heathery hills And it would come out in this little spring. And it was crystal clear. And you could put your hand in the bottom of the spring. And you could shook it up. Shook it up. You could shake it. The soil. And it would get cloudy. And then you could stand there and you'd watch it. And you know what I'm going to say. It would get clear. Why? Because fresh water kept coming into it. Jesus likens the Holy Spirit to living water. I want to encourage every single person here today. God is at work in your life. I don't know what stage you're at. I don't know what successes you've had. I don't know what failures you've had in your life. But if you've given your life to Jesus, I know the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And the Holy Spirit is like that fresh water. And he keeps coming. And he keeps coming. And he keeps coming. Also, living by the the coast in those days, we used to see what was called you could identify the prevailing wind. Now, you know what I mean by prevailing wind, don't you? I'm not talking about something bad that you've eaten and the consequences of that. No, the prevailing wind is the direction from which the wind normally comes. Now, anybody who's lived by the coast will know this. Well, you you may well know it anyway. That you can identify, even if it's a calm day, where the prevailing wind comes from. And the way you can do that is the shape of the trees. Because when the prevailing wind blows and blows and blows and blows and blows, gradually it bends the trees and the trees face the direction that the prevailing wind is coming from. Jesus likens the Holy Spirit to the wind. You see, see, being a Christian is not simply about turning away from something. It's turning to someone. And the Holy Spirit comes and he is the prevailing wind in your life. And his aim is this, to get you to bend in his direction, in the direction of truth, in the direction of joy, in the direction of holiness, in the direction of freedom, in the direction of unselfishness. Those are some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit wants to bend our lives. And again, I want to encourage you today. I don't know what stage you're at in your Christian experience, but I would encourage you in this, don't give up. Why not? Why do I say that? I say it for this reason, because Jesus does not give up with you. He does not give up with you. So the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. He is that living water, that clean, that purity that comes into our life. 
And the Holy Spirit is like the wind, and he comes, and he wants to bend us in that certain direction towards our Heavenly Father. So my time is up, and we're looking forward to getting Steve baptized in a minute now. So John's words, although they sound incredibly harsh, you brood of vipers, they're not harsh, actually. They're kind, because he knows they need to turn away and turn towards the one who is to come. What about you and me? Have you had that experience like Steve has had in his life? If not, I would encourage you to turn away and to turn to Jesus. Bless you.